I cannot really find the words. Anyway, I have bad English speaking. But no matter how much I try, I cannot express the sorrow and the grief and the devastation that we felt watching the news, watching the destruction that is unbelievable. And really, is, it doesn't matter what America did to cause what happened. There is no excuse. The people who did it are criminals, and they should be found, should be punished. But I really can't help myself of questioning why there are people like that who just destroy life. September 11, everybody in, in New York was busy living, busy planning for more living, busy for planning for parties and weddings and beautiful things. And other people were planning for this destruction. And we all shocked. Now, those Muslim fanatics who did that, they don't feel guilty about it. And I know why, because I, I was raised as a Muslim. I studied Islam, and I was in my way to be sheikh, but you call it, it's like rabbi. Then <laughs> I blow it up in the fourth year. <laughs> which disappointed my father. <laughs> but religion, and I'm talking about Christianity also, it planted in our psyche since we are very little that there is a place better than this. Heaven is the ultimate wonderful place. And if you die for your religion, for your country, you go guaranteed first class, you go to heaven. And so actually, this is why you find people committing suicidal missions, as they call it. They just rub themselves with bombs and you go and blow it up. He's so brainwashed that he really believes he's going to heaven. In my youth, I was very nationalistic. I wasn't very, very religious, but then with my experience in a prison, it's been six years, and I had some instances where it transcends all national, religious, whatever reason, relation between human beings that just there is a, there is a, a place where we can meet as a human beings beyond religion and, and uh, politics and nationalism. For example, uh, when I was in a prison, I was living in a small cell. It's like three feet by six feet. And it has only one window with very thick uh, mesh, you call it, or screen. Anyway, we found a bird fell from the nest, and I raised it. And it was the joy of everybody. At the same time, there was a Russian guard, who, Israeli guard, who migrated to Israel from Russia. He has no family, and he was working like 13 or 14 hours a day in the prison. 
he sleeps there, and on Saturday, his day off, he goes to town, he feels that he's really stranger. So he comes back and spends Saturday with the prisoners chatting. Now, our relationship was very, very clashy in the beginning because when he came, they told him those are animals. Don't say hello to them. Don't the, the, the warden and the authorities. And he trying to be as harsh, as masculine, as tough as he can. And we try to do the same. Many times we throw hot water on each other. And they take us and beat us, doesn't matter. Then this guard fell in love with my bird. <laughs> and his ultimate pleasure is if I allow him just to hold it on his finger. So I've, that's how it started. And this bird was so tame, it was jumping from shoulder to shoulder, all the prisoners, all the guards. So anyway, I pursued the guard to let me cut a little wire, or not cut it, actually bend it so the bird can go out and play with the other birds, which he did. I mean, he could lose his job, but he did it. And one evening, the bird was outside with all the birds feeding, and we feed them, uh, you know, most of our food. <laughs> and the guard was walking back and forth. And when he came, there were so many birds. Those wild birds flew away, except that one stayed there and was eating. And I don't know what happened to the guard. He was, I saw him before, actually, I saw him like, he looking at you, but looking through you, who was somewhere else. And just by mistake, he stepped on the bird. So and I, I get very emotional when I talk about it because... So anyway, he was so shocked. He was crying. And he said, I didn't mean it. And I said, I know you didn't mean it. So he gave it to me through this, and giving mouth to mouth, this is... <laughs> It didn't work. And just to look at his face and his tears is just falling. And he trying to comfort me. Now I'm trying to comfort him to say it's okay. I mean, it happened. And there is like less than half an inch, maybe quarter of an inch uh, space between the, uh, the mesh, the bars. And here we're trying to hold hands, but we can't. We're just putting like little finger and we're touching. And at that moment, this is a moment where I really loved him. And after that, we became very good friends. But this moment brought me as Salam a prisoner and him as the guard a prisoner. We're both prisoners. He doesn't have any other life. Anyway, since then, we became very good friends. But that moment, we forgot Jewish and Palestinian, uh, Christian, Muslim, Red, uh, Russian. Uh, anyway, to make it uh, just when I got out of prison, we met a lot. And he married. And he had a son. And he called him Salam. <laughs> so and that uh, is really uh, just touched my heart so hard, so, so beautifully. 
that I know there is a place where we can meet as humans. If we just forget for a moment to, to hold our response, not to calculate our response like what everybody has doing in this, uh, in this country now. We're planning to bomb, war, crusades, and all of that. If we just look through it through the heart, we will find a solution. And I was talking to Jack. By the way, to thank you, the rose you brought me still living and beautiful. <laughs> Usually I put a rose in a vase and doesn't last for a few days, but yours is from his garden. Still beautiful. And I think you're, you're my wife good grows. energy. <laughs> it's my wife's rose. She knows how to grow them. Yeah. So, our hope is to teach our children that this place is beautiful and we can make it beautiful. And we don't have to go and sacrifice ourselves to go to paradise. Paradise is here. And I really believe, I'm not religious, I believe nationalism and religion, what poisoned our minds. Because everybody says, I am the chosen. I am God's favorite. Secondly, we should not see ourselves as isolated beings, isolated countries. The whole world is one human body. And you can compare it with a human body, and you will see that when one part aches and you ignore it, it affects the other parts. And on a global level, we saw lots of cancerous and illnesses in somewhere in this body, and we did not treat it. Maybe we covered it with some makeup, but we did not treat it. And the United States especially chose itself to be the head and the heart of this global body and knows there are certain illnesses and viruses around and just did not treat it. And that's why the whole body now, the global body, has so has a, a big fever that it's dangerous. And I believe the, our immediate mission now is to take this fever down. The voices for peace has to be heard. People who care about peace have to speak out. Because there are lots of cries for war bombers and big ships. You cannot kill a mosquito with a, ba what do you call it, baseball bat? <laughs> you cannot do that. Plus, the bigger the target, the, the target, the easiest to hit. America is so big, if wherever you throw a stone on it, it will hit something. <laughs> and those voices calling for revenge, they forgot what I think Confucius or he said, when you seek revenge, dig two graves. And we cannot keep each time something happens to dig two graves. We have to eliminate 
the sources for, for this trouble in the world. Other reason I believe uh, that why those people, I don't agree with them, I, 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 I against all the violence they do, but we have to understand why they do it. Because if we understand why they do it, we can do something about it. But just to talk of war and crusades and revenge and bombing, it will not work. And I feel the love and peace in all your faces and the energy in the air. And I am very hopeful that something good will come out of it. Thank you, Jack. Yeah, thank you. Can I ask you a couple of things? Please. Um, what things do you think it's important for us to know about the experience of people in the Middle East that we might not be aware of that would help us be? Well, for example, take the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I, our problems all that time, that we don't listen to each other. When Israeli speaking and a Palestinian listening, he's not really listening. He is so busy preparing the counterattack, preparing how to prove that what you said is wrong. And the same with both sides. Plus, they're wasting all of their energy trying to prove the historic right for each one. Each one has a strong claim. And even if the other side brought God or Ab Father Abraham, prophet, to testify who was there first, and he said, the Palestinians, you think the Israelis will pack and leave? He said, the hell with you, Ab Ab Father Abraham. We are here. We born here. And this is the only place we have. And we're going to stay. And we will defend it with our lives. The same with the Palestinians. Now, United States did not do justice there. They supported one side. The same dust that fell in New York, people for how many years now, breathing it every day, the bombing, the devastation, the tears, the same. They have children, they have mothers and fathers. And United States implemented certain regimes, even though it is number one democracy in the world, that went to war to install an emir in Kuwait who has 50 wives, and they are just a few uh, people running the whole country. The United States created monsters to guard certain doors, and when she doesn't feed them or done with them, they turn around against her, like Saddam Hussein is the creation of the United States. The Taliban is the creation of the United States. Noriega is the creation. When they finish with them, they just turn them into monsters, monsters and don't destroy them. There are so many reasons in, to, for, in the Middle East to push people to do that. People have nothing to lose. Give them something to hold on. 
I don't know if I, I answered the, qu the question actually needs <laughs> you, you, you help yeah. um, I wanted to ask you a really different kind of question too Salam um, even though you say you're not religious or national which um, is, it's like music when you speak that it's so beautiful um, is there something from your years when you studied the Quran and you studied um, that's beautiful to say of the teachings because it gets very distorted. We hear about Islam in such a negative way over and over in America. And um, I just would like to hear a little bit of the teachings that you would share. Well, I, I don't really defend Islam. I have lots of questions about Islam when it comes to many things, especially, you know, you go, you die, you go to heaven and, and the jihad. And, but there are in Islam, actually, lots of teachings about nonviolence, about peace. Um, there are lots of surahs. It forbids the Muslim of starting a war or aggression. Uh, there is another surah that says, وَإِنْ جَنَحُوا لِلسَّلْمِ فَجْنَحْ لَهَا I don't know if somebody speaks Arabic here. It says, the minute, if you're in war, and the minute your enemy offers peace, you have to stop and take it and encourage it. Um, God uh, gives better rewards for people who fight with their, uh, with talking, not with, the sword is the last resort if you're attacked. Now, there are in Islam also some surahs that send you to war and says you're a duty to fight if you are, if your land is attacked, if, um, you're humiliated or under um, oppression. And who doesn't do that? United States says, we, uh, if our land is attacked, we're going to fight back. I think every human do that. But there are lots of verses that talks about initiating peace. And uh, actually, it's a sin to initiate aggression. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I wondered about letting other people either ask questions, if you wish, or to share things, to make your own statements about what you have learned in this time, or what you're wrestling with, and where your own heart has been awakened, touched. Because I do feel that there's, that there's so much that we have to learn in listening to each other, as I learn listening to you, Salam. Um, so maybe I'll see if this is on. Wait. Um, wireless, is that on? Yes. Good. Um, can I get your help? Uh, invite people, either if you have questions, if you want to ask anything of Salam, or me, but I'm always here, so better to talk to him. <laughs> Beside which, well, anyway, um, <laughs> he probably could answer better. Um, or if there's something that your heart has learned that you would share or that you've 
been going through both of those would be really welcome. I would like to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, share a meditation that came as a part of all this in dealing with a lot of anger that was coming at me from friends and uh, people that I was seeing. This perhaps is a meditation that has come to other people, perhaps it's even written, but this came in uh, spending time in nature around the redwoods and involves the elements and what I saw very clearly was that the fire, the fire element, the anger, the fear, the devastation, the lightning bolt from the sky, the planes hitting the towers, all this anguish and suffering and pain, all this can be gathered and on the in-breath come in to this ocean that we have as our soul, this vast, vast ocean. And what happens when fire hits water is this steam is created, this steam that rises up, this mist that rises up in us. And as this steam goes out through this warm breath that we have in our mouth, the moisture is evaporated and it becomes a cool breeze. And what feels better on a hot, hot, hot day or in hot times or in times of suffering and pain and agony than a very soft, gentle breeze that we can blow onto our brothers and sisters and upon ourselves. And of course, the earth element here is the element that we stand upon in ourselves to stay rooted and stay on the path. So thank you. It has assisted many people so far. Thank you. It's a little bit also like the form of compassion practice of Tonglen, where you breathe in the sorrows of the world and let them be transformed in the heart, and then breathe out compassion, but not using the elements, as you said. That's lovely. Thank you. Others, please. Just tonight in, um, uh, just tonight in being here, I remembered something my wonderful mother told me. She was part of a Native American healing ceremony a long time ago. And uh, the leader asked everyone there to take someone into their heart that they didn't usually take into their heart. And that was during the Nixon administration, and she took Nixon and his cabinet into her heart. <laughs> and I just, this evening has made me feel that I'm really going to take all the leaders and the members of the jihad, etc., that are so fearful and angry into my heart. I'm going to cherish them. Thank you. Our feelings towards um, all the things that have happened recently, I think it's a little bit what Salam said or Jack said, is that um, sometimes great events and sadness can help us see God and stuff. But I, one thing I looked at is this was 5,000 people in a small area, and I think something between 150,000 and 200,000 people die every day in the world. and. Um, a good half of those probably in circumstances of 
violence, hunger, or repression, or difficult scenes. And, you know, the little event that happened a couple weeks ago in the whole sense of the world is very, very small. And I've taken great notice that it's gotten such world publicity compared to events that are much more awful that just don't get the same publicity that have happened over the past six months or a year. I think it's very interesting to think about. Go ahead. Uh, if I may comment on that. <coughs> because it happened here at home, it hit us at home here. And it hurts. We were watching it minute to minute what's happening. And the publicity it got actually because the, the American media controls everything. Like for example, in Palestine there were lots of people putting flowers and going to the American consulate and lighting candles. And there are some scenes with Palestinians dancing on the streets. Now, later on, we found out that those scenes they showed them from 91, from the archives of CNN. And you can go to CNN.com and see the statement. What happened at 12 noon here, they showed those children and people, some adults dancing in the streets in daylight. Well, 12 noon here is, uh, is uh, 10 p.m. there, that's number one. And CNN, when they broadcasted, they, they put a line underneath, it says, from the archives, when the Palestinians were dancing when Saddam Hussein sent the missile to Israel. They were dancing. But the other stations, they took that and repeated it without the line, says, from the archives. And even I saw some anchors we were seeing those barbaric Palestinians dancing in the streets while we are hurting. Even though journalists should not get emotional and make judgments, just tell the news. But he used the word barbaric Palestinian dancing in the streets. So, but we all know that who has the power to tell the story, he has the power to control the minds of the people. In, in one of the first vigils that we held here last a week, 10 days ago, there was someone who stood up and said that those images, not understanding where they came from, those images were so terrible, so disturbing to see someone dancing in the streets uh, in Lebanon or wherever it was. And then an older woman stood up and said, well, I'm old enough to remember World War II when we bombed, the day we bombed Hiroshima, and people in America were dancing in the streets. That's right. All of a sudden, everyone just took a breath, and we can remember that it's not them or them or them, it's us. It's all of us. Yes. Um, I am from Panama, and, and I heard the gentleman said, uh, someone mentioned Noriega, and I just wanted to say that being here in the United States and hearing the news, uh, it seems like sometimes the people that are speaking 
uh, are unfamiliar. I was in Panama in 89 when the United States came at 2 a.m. to get Noriega, and they missed all the targets, and thousands of people that went to sleep, including my uncle, did not awaken. People were burned, thousands of people. And it's not, it's just not the solution to the, the conflict. Thank you. You're right. <laughs> I wanted to thank you, Salam and Jack, for being here. The metaphor you said about the body, what's come to me very strongly is how a sense of shame of how much I've known what's been going on in the world and that I maybe wrote a letter or signed a petition, but I didn't act as if it was my sister or my brother. And I see ways that I know spirit exists, this is what I call it, and, and that there's things I know that help support that, and I've been lazy with myself in my actions. And this has brought me to a commitment to, to take more care, to, to really pay attention and make a difference to all those different aches and illnesses in the whole world body. So thank you. Thank you. You know, we, even though are individuals, but we are one body. And each one of us actually, this is what I believe, is that all those billions in the world are one. You and I are the same, but different aspects of ourselves. And we are all like cells in one body. And there is no spare parts. That's the problem. <laughs> No spare uh, anything. Everything is essential and necessary and has its own place and its role. And sometimes tragedy, tragedies like this, like this, because it's fresh and because it's in, in front of us, it's so painful. But I really believe there is not, not bad happening in this world. Is this working? Yeah. <laughs> Everything, if you look at it, Later, you will see it leads to something better, to more growth and more understanding. And just give an example of what I'm thinking. If we tape the human experience of giving birth from the very, very beginning, from two people falling in love and making love and getting pregnant and giving birth and the child playing and growing, then we play that again. And then somebody comes out of maybe different words just to learn about the human experience of giving birth and just walks in at the section where the, baby, the mother is crying and the blood and the screaming and all of this and walks out and says, this is very disgusting experience of the humans. If one stays from the very beginning to the end, we'll see the exact scene. And but he will see the beauty of the whole thing on the long run. I'm not saying, trying to, uh, to say we welcome tragedies and so we can grow, no. But since it happened, I believe we can make the next chapter, either to continue another tears and crying, or we can create we give us, make it to give us more motive to work for love and peace and 
uh, eliminating all differences between human beings. You know, when this happened, I saw it first. I was so shocked and so much emotion going on. I felt like going to the streets and just like kiss everybody, hug everybody, tell them I'm sorry we didn't do it. Or you know this this, and then I went into a period where I visualize myself under the rebel. I don't want to be outside because it's so much hard to watch it. It's easier just to be there. Somebody come and rescue you than to watch all of this suffering and the crying. And then what came after people uh, looking for their loved ones and putting notices missing and all of that here. But I believe something will come, something good will come out of that. We are still grieving and that's normal thing to do. We cry, it's all right, but uh, Hope is, is strong that things will be better. We are, in a way, we are a culture that has forgotten sometimes how to grieve. Um, and because we don't have the tears, um, we don't learn. I mean, one of the, the things that I, that I see as the most remarkable places in America is the memorial for the Vietnam veterans. I mean, it's one of the few places where you can see grown men weep in public. Um, over and over. More people go there than almost any other place in Washington. And somehow, I think somebody said it's, you know, she's sorry or they're sorry, the man said, because it's happening all the time and we haven't seen it. I think we also haven't let ourselves feel it. And this is letting us feel something that then from that depth says, all right now, take a breath and bring your heart back to the world from that. What do we do? You know, I, I've been struck about something over the last couple of weeks, which is the, um, in an interesting jujitsu kind of way, there is a blessing in the lack of cultural memory in this culture and the fact that we are a, a, a short-term memory culture. That our, we're, we're built on sound bites and our media is built on sound bites. And that in a, in a way, I was looking at that as, a, as in the past as evidence of our shallowness, but I, as, a, uh, as a sign of hope. Because as the, head, as the head and the heart, I'll just put this down. No, you need it. It's hard to hear, it's okay. As the head and the heart of the, of the world, to borrow your metaphor, Salam, one of the most important things that the head can do is to remember. And one of the most important things is you listen to people tell stories. The story evolves as they remember. And it depends upon what you repeat, what is remembered. And so the very important things for those of us who are here, and the sort of, I was struggling with what is, what is my role in the future, is to remember to tell the important parts of the story. To, to, tell the, to tell the facts that the people dancing on CNN, that was 10 years ago and an entirely different thing. To tell, to tell the, the stories of the people who suffered when their buildings fell and, the peop and the people who, uh, people's loved ones who now have to live with that image burned into their brain. To tell the story of the, of the Palestinians whose villages were raised by tanks when they threw rocks. 
These are, these are the parts of the stories we do have to remember and we do have to carry forward. And what will be remembered 10 and 15 years from now about this era is acutely dependent upon what we continue to say day after day after day and to remember the truth of what happened and not as what is told to us. And that short-term video CNN memory will disappear and will be replaced by something else which they can use to sell washing machines or whatever things in our culture. Very well said. <coughs> the phenomenon of terrorism is worldwide, and it's certainly not exclusively Middle Eastern. Sometimes I think it may be partly caused by the acceleration of change in the world. Uh, most of us can't process what happens to us on a daily basis anyway. Um, but with your expertise, being from the Middle East, uh, what are your ideas on ways to diffuse and weaken the um, fundamentalist Islamic movement? Well, terrorism actually works. And I have examples for that. But, uh, in 1946 and 47 and 48, before the establishment of Israel, Menachem Begin and all the Israeli leader who became head of states later, they used terrorism against the British groups. They blow up the King David and they blow up so many things. And it worked. 1948, they have their independence. Now, I know Yasser Arafat since 1963, before even the establishment of the PLO. And I was a very active journalist. And I have ties with all those people because this is my job to do that. Then, the Palestinians from 1948, they were just a bunch of refugees. Nobody cares about them. They established the United Nations Relief uh, Agency, something, UNRWA, and they stand in line to give them some flour and some rice and cooking oil. And they live in tents. They were crying for the world. They want just to go back. They don't want the Palestinian state. Just go back to their homes. A million and a half refugees. And did not work. Then when they started terrorist work, let's call it terrorist work, going and blowing up whatever they can do that, the world started listening to them. So terrorist, terrorism worked. Now, if the Palestinians did not do that, Arafat will not be welcome in any place. He was actually just wanted. Now they listen to him, they talk to him, they, there is a peace negotiation, they uh, welcome him, or they, um, what do you call it? They let him in, in the White House and Camp David. Now those guys, they have another idea of or their own agenda. 
And they said, the harder we hit, then they will listen to us. America proved that you would not listen to you unless you do something crazy. Then they say, okay. Now, how we fight terrorism? We have a short, immediate uh, problem to deal with, which lots of them may be still in the United States. We have to find them and stop them of doing more harm. Second, go to the source, which is mainly, mainly Afghanistan now, because no other country dares to uh, welcome them. And just two days ago, I saw on CNN a program called Beneath the Veil. I don't know if any one of you saw it. I really cried. I, I cry easily, I know. <laughs> <laughs> My Islamic fanatic friends, they think I'm a wimp or something. <laughs> it's okay. But this program showed those people who were created by America, actually, to fight the Russians, and let them now rule the country. They take people and they hang them in the streets. I saw three women just like a bag, whatever, those veil, and it's like just in, in a um, stadium, football stadium, took her in the middle and they just shot her and her brain came to the... Probably she looked at some somebody without the veil. Or if somebody says just the Taliban is wrong or they try to, to give them suggestion, they just hang them. So on the short run, I would, I'm a peaceful man, but not that peaceful. I would say, go and bomb the hell out of them. Now, take all those military, military power, because they have, they have military power, and they are trying to conquer the rest of the country. There are so many women doctors and scientists. They have to just sit at home under veil. And the veil is not like in Palestine. We have, my mother wore veil, you know, but she covers her head and some hair showing from here. Those is like a big sack. It just, it's like, a, what do you call it? A ghost just going around. So on the short run, I would say take immediate action to find where is this, what to call it, just to clip their clothes and fangs so they didn't have any military power because the danger is going to attack Pakistan and, and the whole region will, will catch in fire. And on the long run, do justice to the world. You are the head and the heart of this global body. And what good the head is if the rest of the body is crippled or diseased or full of cancer? You need, if you want to lead this world, you need a healthy world. When you see cancer somewhere, go and treat it. And don't go and do surgical. If your foot has a cancer, go and just chop it. This is what they do. So they treat it first. And that's how we treat terrorism. We start with ourselves that take a commitment that will not react violently no matter what. And actually I have personal stories where I have million reasons just to get mad. And I just 
thought of it, and I said, just let it go. Actually, once uh, a guy stole my TV, I was in the office, I went to the store there, and here a guy running with my TV, I left the door open. Now, I could go and just strangle him. Then when I saw him next, I saw him, listen, you forgot to take the remote. <laughs> the remote control. <laughs> and I gave him the, the remote control. <laughs> then he asked me, well, listen, I promise, can you borrow, uh, lend me $20 and I promise to give it to you. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> So what and really, you know, the TV didn't make any difference in my, in my life. Actually, it was good because I was watching the news and all of that. Then I found myself without TV reading. <laughs> what you said about whether it's the terrorists or, or others that in the long term it is you said it's what's it, it is what gets the attention of people and if there's anything in the practice of meditation of listening and and attending it is it, it leads us to that understanding that it's not just me in this small sense of self the more deeply we miss listen the more we feel how we're we're part of this universal body. Um, and, uh, you know, there's so many stories in this time. I heard a story um, yesterday or the day before about the first people who were back on their airplanes, the crews flying. Um, I actually talked to a few people who were, who were crews for United and, and uh, American who were really frightened to go back in the air in some way. And one story I heard when the, when the first um, plane took off again, when they stopped the, the kind of ban on flying, um, where the, the flight crew said, you know, we're, now we're up in the air and it's just us and we're a family. And before we do anything else, I'd like to invite you to take out your wallets and show the pictures of your children to the person next to you mm -hmm. because the time has changed and we can't ignore one another anymore. We're, we're in it together. Um, I think that there's a kind of listening that has to take place um, both in this country and also in the world, that there are all these cries that we have not listened to. Um, and I guess I, you know, we're coming kind of toward the end of the evening. I really want to do just a a, a few minutes of um, meditation and reflection, not quite yet, but in a minute, um, where we look and listen inside um, from, the, from the big picture, because what you're putting out really leads us to have to look at the big picture. It's not just what we do now in our immediate response, but what are the seeds that we're planting for five and ten and twenty-five and fifty and a hundred years as human beings? So that when your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren or your nieces and nephews and their great-grandchildren look back and, and they ask you, well, what did you do back in 2001 when this happened? What was your response? Grandmother, grandfather, uncle, old uncle, what did you do? That you will look back and say, this was what I did. This was my response.
There's some way tonight, having this rain, the first rain of the year, really, and the lightning and thunder, which we don't usually get in California, it's kind of magical, you know, and there's something that's cleansing. Um, and there's something, you know, that, that just touches, uh, kind of reawakens the earth. And maybe our tears from all this and the shock and grief and so forth, maybe there's something that's going to reawaken, as you say, the heart and the head that needs to reawaken. So I'd like to first thank you again, Salam, and if you want to come again anytime, you know, often, take my place. I'm so grateful. Whatever you want to say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Thank you, brother. I have you all. (laughs) And the the words from the Buddha. Hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone is healed. This is the ancient and eternal law. Do not ignore the effects of your good actions, saying, this small thing will come to nothing. Just as the gradual fall of the raindrops fill the water jar, so in time the world is blessed by the goodness of your actions. So let your eyes close for a moment, if you would. We'll do just a little reflection. Come back to your own breath and human body and all of the contradictions of being a human being on this earth. The beauty and the blessings of it and the vulnerability and the fears of it that we all carry. And then let yourself think or imagine or see your grandchildren or great-grandchildren, or if you don't have children, the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of those you love. Looking back at this time from a future where we have learned and healed and listened to one another on the earth. They look back at you and say, grandmother, grandfather, uncle, auntie, what did you do in that time in 2001, long ago? What did you do to bring beauty to this earth? What one thing or two things is your gift that you can bring forth?
Maybe it just will take one more person committed to love to make the difference, truly committed. Let's chant again the chant of compassion. Om Mani Padme with the chant. ahead, may you carry the spirit of Shanti, which is peace, of Salam, which is peace, of Shalom, which is peace. May you carry the peaceful heart and the great heart of compassion out into the world and bring your blessings because we need you. We need you to do it. Thank you.